All right, let's see. We're live. Yeah, we're live. What's up, guys? John Sentez here. Street continues, number 85. Uh, please subscribe to the podcast. Um, sorry, it's a little early morning for us here. Um, don't forget to go check the website. Uh, podcast has been growing really well. Numbers look really good. Um, been killing it. Had some great guests over the past couple days. Um, you can check out the website if you need some more information on how to follow it, cutternation.net. Also, you can check out our online store with our hats. We're fully stocked, ready to ship, ready to get them going, um, which gets me excited. But without further ado, Kurt Hughes of Ignite Baseball. Kurt, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for taking a little time out of your day. Not a problem, fellas. How we doing? It's good, man. Second time on for Kurt. We were just talking about Kurt. Yep. I think I, I think that's a Minnesota Kurt. Um, yeah, no, I, I've uh, the uh, the first episode. Uh, I think it got lost in the internet. Um, but regardless, for those of you that don't know him, I know Kurt through the internet and Instagram, and we got connected for hitting. So um, yeah, uh, Kurt, just assume that nobody knows anything about you. Um, tell us a little bit more about your kind of journey to get to where you're at today. Um, so just lay that kind of ignite 101 and obviously you're, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I guess in kind of like a lot of, a lot of hitters that were not like super, um, athletically gifted. Like I always felt like I could make myself better by like trying to listen to everybody's advice and try to like make my own swing. Like, um, awesome. And that kind of like failed me in college. And I realized that like a lot of people were messing things up, which I think is kind of like a generally established thing now in 2020, when maybe in 2009, when I was going through that, that wasn't as an established thing. Um, so I kind of got frustrated. It's like, well, if no one's going to do this, uh, I guess I will. And now a lot of people are doing it kind of like me, but it is what it is on that front. Uh, so I started Ignite in 2016 and I started teaching, I was teaching like lessons and stuff like hitting lessons out of like, uh, backyards and like batting cages, like wherever. Um, now, um, now, uh, I, um, with a couple other guys own a, a baseball and softball training facility in Arlington, Virginia. Um, we've been open since November and, uh, I mean, that, that's, it's going great. Um, and you know, we really pride ourselves on the way that we, do all things baseball and softball, but, um, but in particular myself, I really uh, take pride in, in the hitting aspect of it. So that's kind of my thing. Um, so to give you some context, um, I don't know, you know, I always think about you as like coming from the baseball rebellion side um, and, and please touch on that and clarify for the, for everybody. But also one thing that I've really appreciated is, you know, Kurt and I, um, have had this professional relationship that has grown into a much more personal relationship. Never met each other, his, which is hilarious. Never seen him in person. You could just be an avatar for all I know. And, um, but it was, it's the idea that like, it's, it's not stopping with Kurt. Right. So, you know, um, I don't, I always forget cause there's so many FRCs and FMCs, but I know that like gate analysis and some of that movement quality stuff has been something that you've really dug into lately. Yeah. Um, so do you want to kind of like, I don't know. You, you don't have to shout them out. However you want to think about it, just kind of like walk through some of your influences. Like I'm always going to tell people that, you know, I was basically trained Ron Wolferth. I didn't have coaching growing up. So I just like played the game, you know, and tr try to give me, a, give us a, a little like timeline of how things happen for you. Yeah. So John is gone apparently. 
That's okay. He'll, he'll be back. Um, he'll be back. So yeah, influences for me, like I read uh, Positional Hitting um, by Jamie Savalas. I think he actually is a guy out in California. Um, if you don't know who he is, he was uh, Ben Zobris's hitting coach, like when he was like kind of making it big. Um, I believe he worked with Raul Obanez a little bit as well. He wrote a book um, called Positional Hitting. At the time, I was kind of like a back and forth on a bunch of stuff because um, like I'd read like Ted Williams's um, Science of Hitting when I was in high school. But then I had all these coaches saying other things. So I was kind of confused. And when I read Positional Hitting, I was like, well, this can't be wrong. Like the guy basically just took a bunch of pictures from, um, you know, MLB hitters and like kind of put them in a frame by frame analysis of like what what they were doing. And I was like, well, at least like this, like the, the bones of this are right. There's, you just can't be wrong. So um, that was kind of my initial thing. And then I stumbled across baseball rebellion because of, I don't exactly remember how I stumbled across them, but I did. Um, I mean, they have a pretty, pretty big online presence. So, um, you know, I stumbled across their stuff was like, okay, well, this is really smart too. Um, so that was kind of the things that got me going and understanding like the way that, you know, hitting was a rotation and, um, you know, getting the right bat angle and, you know, shoulder plane and that kind of stuff. But then like, once I started to figure all that stuff out, like Cass had alluded to earlier, like I got really into, and I have been really into, um, posture and, um, like gait analysis and that kind of stuff because I found that that has a lot of relation to how um, effective hitters can be and how effective movers can be as well. So I've been really down that rabbit hole um, for the last, I guess, year, maybe a little bit more. And the person that I've been following probably the most, um, it's kind of a controversial internet guy, um, meaning he's probably not the most uh, politically correct person to follow online. His name is uh, Nadi Aguilar. He runs a company called Functional Patterns. Um, has a bunch of uh, really weird pause. stuff. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. Um, Alex Rojas was on Nama Strength Athletics. Uh-huh. If uh, He brought him up. So that was one of the guys that he name dropped yep. as far as being an influence on him. And he is, he's only like late 20s and he is brilliant. So I highly encourage that episode. Watch that, Kurt, because he yep. has some crazy. He's he's like a Weck method. Like anyway, I, sorry. Keep going. Sorry. Yeah, Naudi's Naudi Aguilar. Really, really smart. Um, but he also and, said controversial. That's why I was like, oh, that's why yeah, I know that he was saying the same person. In a, in a human movement sense, he's incredibly smart. I mean, just especially like, and this is true from a throwing perspective as well. Like. Um, the three things that he really focuses on the most are like, um, you know, baseline posture, um, like your gait mechanics and whether that be like you're walking, you're running and then also throwing mechanics because he views that as an, as a, like a baseline human movement that like was necessary yep. for survival. I love um, that. Wex says that same thing too. And I, and man, uh, for the record, uh, I didn't, I didn't call him out on this yesterday, but, um, Zach dials had talked about, um, uh, he said, we are overhead athletes. And that's something, I don't know where this was triggered, but like, I really have a problem with that idea because we're not like that is the humerus is not above the shoulder. So how are we overhead? I think the challenge is like, we should be overhead athletes, meaning like the way that our body's designed, we should be able to make our superficial front line or or, sorry, our frontal line stretch enough. So that way our, you know, our, our chest 
can kind of rise up this way. Thus, we can get over our head more and more. But like the problem is, is that so many people are kind of in this extended superficial backline position with their with their chest kind of compressed. So their ability to get their hands overhead is really impaired by that. But so why like, do we need to be overhead? Why? I mean, what, like when are you just put your humerus above your shoulder? Sure. When are you doing that? Well, like the, at the at the end of our throw, do we not get here or no? Humerus we're, is in line here, with the shoulders. No, humerus is in line time. with the shoulders. And then you have okay. you then you just have tilt. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, uh, it's just interesting. It's interesting because that that's not. I mean, that's really not my lane. You okay. know, I don't. I actually can't classify all of these things. But I just I'm like, okay, well, this is this is an interesting thing too. Um, again, I just thinking out loud. So the the blast motion idea of like getting on plane that started me, getting me going. Okay, that's the bat. Um, you know, perpendicular to the spine. And for me, you know, for us, and I was like, oh, humerus perpendicular to the spine. That's what, that's why everybody's shortening their arm path. That's why driveline takes people right here. That's why right. everybody does that. Right. Um, so we're not putting us above that. So I, anyway, I understand it, but I'm always like, I don't understand why we're classified as overhead athletes. Our humerus should never get above the shoulder. And when it does, it's a problem. So well, I think it's more release, about the end of the throw that like, I think that their perspective that would be it's more of hand is slightly like uh, Porcio lays this shit out like totally. So, you know, some of this work is years and years old, but like sure. the, the hand should be, if, if the shoulders are at, you know, parallel to the ground, the hand is only going to be above that line five to 10 degrees. And if I was being extreme, I'd maybe say 15. So I think, but I think the, okay, so let me, let's backtrack a little bit. So we said like, why do we need to be overhead? Is that your, no. Okay. So if we're going to backtrack, we're going to say we should define overhead then if that's right. where we're going to start. Because when I say overhead and when you just did that, you put your arms above your, your head, above your shoulder, right? Sure. And that's what overhead is. If I was going to go train an overhead squat, my humerus gets above my shoulder. I'm going to sure. like all of these things. I, I don't do overhead things without putting the humerus above the shoulder. So I feel like that's in the definition and that's one of the almost unhealthy things for a thrower to do. I mean, can you imagine do hitters? I mean, no. even like a hobby bias with a really high back elbow. It's no, still no, no, no. I, in I, relation to the shoulders. Let me, let me jump back. So when I was talking about like chest versus not being able to get overhead versus being erect and being able to get overhead. What I was talking about more was like learning how like to create space between your vertebrae so you can rotate more efficiently. So like when people are kind of like crushed rib cage, kind of like this, and they can't get their arms overhead, it's not a problem from like a throwing, from like a, from a where your arm actually gets in the throw context. It's a problem in a rotational context because if your rib cage is compressed, and there's no space between the vertebrae, your ability to actually rotate is really hindered. So a lot of times, like you can do overhead exercises. And I don't mean like a I don't mean like something where you put a bar over your head. I mean like some gate mechanics type stuff where you like go like kick one leg back and go up with the other leg to try to like learn how to create space in between your vertebrae, like right here on, on either side, which can enhance like rotational capabilities. So I don't necessarily mean it in terms of like, this is what we look like when we throw. I mean it like, how do we take people that can't rotate 
and turn them into people that can rotate. Does that make sense? So by, so I can train that person. Well, yeah, I don't know. It's out of my lane. Cause I'm thinking of like, okay, if I want to train overhead, I'm going to go landmine press. Cause that's the safest overhead way that I sure. know how to no, go overhead. That, that'll work. Okay. Well then again, my point is like, this is, this is like, um, movement quality stuff. Like this is like, get the, the you know, get the body that you're using to be functional and ready to go. Right. Like mm -hmm. maximize that. Sure. But then to like, this is where I really have a problem is that this is, this is affecting like return to throw protocol. This is affecting rehab stuff. Like this is affecting the way that people approach it. And I'm, I'm trying to figure out why it's helped. Okay. Here's another thing. Okay. So fix that posture. Okay. The rib cage stuff. Does sure. that have anything to do with what's happening in the, sh in the throwing shoulder joint? Yeah, definitely. I mean, like, does the shoulder joint affect the rib cage? There, I mean, the, the shoulders sit on the thorax. So when the shoulders sit on the thorax, the angle of the thorax, like if you have a, I you can't see my shoulders, but if my shoulders are like really compressed like this, then like, if you think about like, if my arm here, I'll flip it this way, as long as it goes with me, like, my the joint right here the way the shoulder sits is relative to the way that my thorax is kind of laid out so if my thorax is flat on top and my and my shoulders can sit flat on top my range of motion can be like all the way up here which i know from a throwing perspective doesn't necessarily matter but then also like i'm kind of more down here so my ability to get my arm like here's my question. Here's my question. Can you do the right rib cage right now and reach your hand to the right as far as you possibly can? Like humor you, me for a second. Sure. T reach your right hand as far to your right as possible. There's a wall there, so I gotta move, but there you go. Yeah, I don't even need to see it. You just do it. Okay, as, as far as you possibly can. Distract the sure. hand as far as okay. Yep. And then so by the way, you don't have to flex your elbow to do that. You could just do that in the shoulder, right? And so my question is, is this to me is what we are doing. Sure. We're going as far away from we possibly can put your hand five degrees higher. And now you have, that's not five, but you get okay. the idea. Sorry. Yep. Sure. It's okay. Yep. It's okay. And it would be completely extended right now. Right. So that's, you yep. get five to 10 degrees above the shoulder and that's typically where most people lie. And so what I'm saying is do that, do that and then fix the posture things. And is that way different? Or is, are you, I, I'm, yeah. Does that help you understand where I'm coming from or no? Do that and then fix it. But like what I'm, so, okay. So I'm asking you if, does, does the act of training pressing overhead, moving the hand in that direction, help the posture more effectively than you reaching the hand, distracting that away from the shoulder, which is what we actually do. And then can you still fix the posture as, as effectively? And I, I'm open to understanding why. Well, I think the primary reason that going overhead is better in that sense is that like, when you think about like the muscles that like are in your back um, slash like your rib cage. So like your, um, your, your scale, scalings or neck, but scaling serratus, your intercostals, like they're, they have two functions primarily. Like their one function is to be able to kind of like, get things to go forward 
And then like, if you look at like the serratus posterior, the, their sec other function is to like elevate. So like it's here and here are the two ways that that muscle works. So like we need to train the elevation component to be able to create space. So that way we have room to decelerate. So when we get out here, our shoulder is okay. Isn't so just here, here, right there, here. right there. What, what my question is is in that space right there. Like, you can't you train that without talking about the arms? Sure. Well, you just said serratus. You said scalene, and you said right. You were t you didn't say you we're not talking about affecting the shoulder joint, and then we're talking about how those things affect the shoulder joint. Yes. Right. So I'm not saying like. You don't need to train overhead to achieve those things. Like you need to train the serratus. You need to train whatever you whatever you just said to allow the posture to happen. I don't understand how training the humerus to be above that. That's what I don't understand. So I guess so the question is, it, is, is like, how do we train without going overhead? Without going overhead. That's the answer that I'm looking for. Okay. So, okay. And this also makes sense. Uh, you just answered it. Yeah. Um, so uh, Cressy also talks about how because pitchers have been so overcued to think uh, shoulder blades down and back, that this also creates a completely different imbalance where they need to learn how to elevate. Right. right. And so one of the biggest things that I remember from Cressy that I don't you know, actually know is that the, the scapula needs to upwardly rotate. Um, right. And he doesn't say outwardly rotate. Um, so it, it is an interesting thing, um, which is, which is kind of what I was saying is that if the scapula is going to upwardly rotate, then that means that the pec is going to stretch like that. And the chest is going to kind of go back like that. So, so many pitchers that are like, that are at risk for arm injuries are the ones that they get into layback, but they aren't able to actually get their pec to stretch when they get in the layback. So these muscles are kind of just like out on their own. Whereas if we can get the pec to stretch when they get in the layback then it passes that stress across the rest of the body and it can be done in a more healthy way. Yeah. It's funny that you say that because Rue, um, he, the guy that we rent from the guy that does strength training at our place. Um, he's told me that I have adhesions up across the top of my pec. And like I, when I, I wrestled, I, the first thing that I did in the weight room was bench a ton, you know? And so like, I don't know if you've heard about adhesions or ART, but like, and I have adhesions all Oof. over my body, and this that, that kind of thing makes me wonder um, if that should be the next place that I'm looking. Because I had, um, speaking of this, I haven't talked to you about this, Kurt. So, right, you haven't heard me talk about my the ART? I don't think so. Okay, so everybody's heard it, so I'm not going to sit and go over details. But I had a spot underneath here uh -huh. um, that every time I got to rotation where I pronated, it yep. just bot it bothered the crap out of me. So my fastball, it wasn't as bad, but with my slider, like big time, like every time I got to the end of my slider right under here, and then that would travel everywhere else. Yep. He got that out and it was like inches, inches of range of motion. It was crazy how much more I could distract my hand away from my shoulder because yeah. of how much that was locking down my lap. Right? right. And then you can see that. I mean, it's, it's just crazy. And I did, I never heard of an adhesion in my life. So had you ever heard an adhesion like a knot? I mean, like I've heard about it in like a mild faster release kind of thing and how like, so, so yeah, I mean, I guess I hadn't heard of them like referred that way. I just 
Yeah. So he basically sure. is like, what happens is the muscles like get stretched apart and then they come back together and they stick and they get stuck together. And so adhesions can be like tiny or adhesions can be like, he told me that he had a guy that I don't remember what kind of uh, lifestyle he was leading, but um, he had an adhesion that was like this big. Like, I don't, I, so they I can don't be, under... They can be scar tissue too. If I no. could be wrong, they can't be scar tissue. No, because he. No, it's it. a different thing. It's the fascia getting stuck to the muscle. Okay. I don't. I think it's fat. I don't. I don't know. This is this is too far beyond my beyond my pay grade. Okay. Um, but the point is, is I know that like if he put lotion on his on my skin, he would rip through my skin. That's how much he's just destroying what I. <laughs> he, he has to literally rip apart huh. the muscles. So That's wild. I had. It's crazy. On very painful, but also very like he did it to my shoulder and like you did first. Yeah, he did it to my shoulder. When? Way back. I haven't done it like the full session oh. yet. Oh. But within five minutes, he's hit my Terry's minor and then right on top of that nerve and like I almost passed out. But once he, he said that I had a pretty gnarly adhesion there, and the crazy thing was is when what I felt afterwards was like. I felt like my arm was dead for a little bit for maybe a minute or two. Like I couldn't move it. And then once I could move it, the difference and looseness from my right shoulder, my left shoulder was crazy. It was like, I just got this joint like lubed up by a mechanic and this one felt rusty, you yeah. know? And I had and my left arm never feels, I never feel like I have any kind of issues in my left arm. And so, and my right arm always feels super loose for what I walk around, but that was like a different level. Like that yeah. felt mid long toss. Wow, my arm feels really good. Right. Looseness, you yeah. know, fully stretched out. And I was completely cold. So yeah. there, there's, you know, like Cass is saying, like there's something there, you know, there's, we, we got to get in stuff. Yeah. Anyway, so that's, that's where going back to this is I'll let you know. I mean, I just, I haven't been throwing and I, I was actually, anyway, who, I don't need to talk about me throwing anymore, but that part, I'm really curious because exactly what you just said, I think I have tight pecs because I don't even have, I haven't even developed my pecs. Well, that's like, yeah, where your frontal I'm, line is. Like, yeah. When you said right that, that, drawing, that was, that's where your front frontal line is. Sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off, John. No, no, no right. you're fine. No, it, it's, it's cause that's one of the things that I look for when I'm assessing a player is like, you know, how far back can they just get their hands to go behind them? You know what I mean? The old right. little league stretch where, yeah. you know, you thumbs down and they go back like that. And you can see that some kids like, or, you know, they can't even get their hands in line with their shoulders. Right. You know, it's like they, you know, the chest is super. So, you know, I, I'm, I feel like I'm built weird, but I do feel like my upper body has a, insane amount of pliability especially into right. that shoulder when i'm coming through like that you know yeah but, but my point was that i'm developed everywhere else like my i do a good job of building muscle mass and then my chest has never built and I, we like, get it we get it you're jacked but 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 <laughs> no. Cass, also like you've looked at yourself in the mirror right doesn't it like for you doesn't it look like from from your neck to your shoulders is like a slant of a mountain yep so like that would be like a, like a visual symptom of like having a compressed rib cage. So like your shoulders what go if, like this. What if it's what if it's that my traps are always? I don't know. Actually, I don't know because the other day this is why I'm. I, I I believe you. I'm just saying the other day he did when he did. Oh my god, I can't talk. When Rue did ART to me last weekend, there I finished his sentence. My traps lowered by like an inch. It was yeah. crazy. So normally my traps are way up here, 
And um, he told me that it's because my rhomboids are so overactive that my traps are tr are just constantly fighting them. Well, what if it also could be that your serratus posterior is just not, it's just overstretched and not turning on in the way it needs to to elevate those last couple ribs? That's what would, where would, where would I find, like, what would limit me? Like, I'm okay. So this, I can do an overhead squat quite well. Like I can, I, I, I do these things. I, I've gained that range of motion significantly in the past sure. three years. And so when you, I just don't, this is the thing. I don't know how much weakness I have. Like I have imbalance, but I'm not like, I well, don't know that I'm is. like, Enable to unable to do this. And so what my point is like how many adhesions are in the way of me just trying to do this? Because I have done so many goddamn corrective exercises, it's unbelievable. Well, and Rue is the first person that has actually like I change the way I look in an hour. I walk out of the gym, I walk out and I literally see how I look different. So do you want me to show you an exercise? I can show you an exercise just for giggles. Sure. So this is this is a big like Naudi Aguilar one, the, the guy that we were just talking about. Um that they do a lot. Sorry, I'm in my dad's shop, so give me one second. What's Naudi connected to again? Functional patterns. Functional patterns, functional patterns. What is FRC? I know it's functional range conditioning, but like, is that? I'm not sure. Okay. To be honest with you. Okay. Hold on. Let me throw my fisheye on so you can actually see what the heck I'm doing. Gotta get that iPhone 11, brah. Yeah. Does it have like a fisheye like setting? Yeah. Oh, it does? That's cool. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Oops, wait. Okay. All right. So I just got this is interesting. Pushed up to the door. You guys, I'm sure, have used door anchors in some capacity, right? So I got yeah. a yes. And coming from here. So this is gonna teach like my spine how to elevate. So like I was talking about, so that way I can rotate better. Like this is one of the better ways to like turn the T spine on. So you go. Right here, staying really close to it. And when I go to pull down on this, I'm going to simultaneously try to elevate my shoulders and my ribcage away from my pelvis. So all of those muscles that are like in my spine, that kind of come around to the side of my ribcage. So like intercostals, um, serratus, and then scalenes. So they can use their posterior function to be able to elevate. So I'm just going to go like this. Usually like what I do is I try to elevate as far as I can before I pull down. So I go up with my hey, shoulders as much as I can. Kurt, come take the lens off because I'd see you just fine if you were if you took the lens off. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, it's actually down. better. It's closer. Way better. Oh, I think you were good. Okay. Yeah. So usually what I try to do is I'll try to elevate my shoulders and ribcage away from my ribcage before I pull down. So I'm gonna go up and then pull down and I'm just going to hold my elbows at the side of my rib cage with my shoulders elevated as much as I can. And I'm just going to hold it for like 45 seconds to a minute. So this is like a shrug plus a pull down. Definitely not. A sh I mean, 
it's more of a straight up than it is like a forward. You want to resist the forward as much as you can. Yeah. Because um, when I go forward. What is, is, sh is shrugging a forward thing? I don't know. I guess when I do it, I usually roll forward. But yeah, it's, a, <laughs> it's like a up to my ears, I guess. So if that's how yeah, you yeah, okay. Just yeah, we're just, yeah, okay. I just wanted to make sure that I was yep, seeing that. So right here, elevate as much as I can. Hold it for a minute or so, and then do it all over again. And like, it seems to really help. Like we had this guy that works with us, Mitch. He uh, he's is a pitch for the Diamondbacks and stuff. Well, the in the Diamondbacks organization, um, up to Double A, I believe. Um, he had very compressed rib cage and very like angled shoulders, kind of like you guys. And he was exhibiting a lot of pain, like kind of in the sides of his root cage, like here. And we put him on a program to do that stuff, and like that pain just kind of went away. And his he wasn't having as much pain throwing either. So I don't know. It's, it's I was I was just talking because Dials does uh, CrossFit, and so we were talking too about because he he was very similar to me, like jacked up UCL, just like literally couldn't throw at the end of his career. And then he was talking about um, how we both share the sentiment of like the great thing about CrossFit is it's dumb, super dumb if you don't know what you're doing. But when you know what you're doing, you're moving through all of your ranges of motion. You know, if you go through a three to six month thing and like have some sort of a level of intelligence with like, don't kill yourself, right? Like just if you, if you're going to hurt, like for me, if I'm going to rip my hands, I just stop. I don't care if I'm two minutes into a 30 minute workout, I'm not going to rip my hands. Cause when I rip my hands, the next week is the shittiest week ever. And right. so it's very similar to like, okay, if I'm super sore uh, for me, I did a competition. Uh, my first, my first, maybe my only CrossFit competition. I don't like, I like to work hard. I don't like to work that hard. Um, I effed up my back on a deadlift and it's like, I knew that I was going to do this. And then I did it anyway. Like I knew it was going to be a bad idea for me to push myself in that way. Right. Point is this. I have two different things that is going through my head right now. What I just got done saying with Rue, like what if I have somebody, you know, just massage me and make sure that all my muscles are able to do what they do. Rip me apart as possible, you know, as much as possible. Take two months, whatever it needs to be. Is that more beneficial than me sitting and, um, you know, trying to work through these movements? And the only reason that I'm asking the question, maybe we can't even answer it, but the point is, is the thing about ART is that is one of the, nobody's saying that. Like, I'm, I don't hear people saying, hey, you know, one of the things that you should do as a high school or college or professional athlete is make sure that you go and do these things and then work out, right? So uh, the loosen, lengthen, strengthen idea, right? Mm -hmm. Loosen things up, get your soft tissue work done, lengthen the muscles, and then strengthen them. And it's yeah. curious. It's curious to me that these things are not more commonly married. Um, so I think my position is that, like, not that I disagree with you. I agree with you fully. But the challenge with like having like a working with a chiropractor or having like a massage therapist like work with you is that ideally, like, if things are like working properly, you should be able to use your own musculature to be able to kind of make those adjustments on your own. So, like, that exercise, for as an example, like, when I do that a lot, like, I can literally, like, crack my back myself. 
like without like grabbing onto something. That's 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 what I was getting at. Yep. And so the adhesions are things that I'm like, okay, if these are as legit as, or you know, it sounds legit or real. It's just like it seems that they're quite a bit more inhibitory than we're giving them credit for because people don't talk about adhesions. This is not in general nomenclature. But what you just said was basically what I was trying to get at is like, does movement make does movement release an adhesion? And hard enough at it, yeah. But I think if you pair that with massage or mild fascia release or whatever the hell you want to call it, like, yeah. But and I don't know enough, but that's where Rue is like, because he 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 messed up his back in rugby, um, and this dude's six five, three hundred pounds, um, playing. By the way, he was playing for the Minnesota Gophers as a junior in high school. What? Yeah. For rugby. Um, maybe it was senior. It doesn't matter. I'd have never, I didn't even know you could do that. I didn't either. Um, and so that's where I, I really, um, the answer is probably both, right? The answer is like do as much as you possibly can um, and, and align them with your goals. Because anyway, I, I just, I have learned so many things from moving. And I think the at the end of the day, all of this stuff, um, I think it's intimidating to, to hear all of the things that are out there for doing it the right way, right? So when you talk to me about functional patterns and then when somebody brings up, you know, a WEC method certification and now I have a driveline certification and now there's a, it's just endless, endless. You could get CSES and, and it's just like, you, you could honestly fix a lot of these things or there are solutions to most of these by just moving more frequently, you know? And, yeah. and then it gets to the point where you're at where you, have a lot more educated like you have smarter guesses on on where you should prescribe and and do things for people and for yourself right but it'll always evolve and sure you'll never be able to say anything with a you know a complete level of certainty and i mean that's the journey right i mean you just try to get better every day so yeah yeah Uh, so i've been really into the um I'll, i'll i'll drop off at this and um what was the who said it john where it was um oh it was it was brett wagner he goes, Randy Sullivan always tells me that baseball or pitching is the only thing that people think that they can do less of and get better at. That's, or throwing it. I think he might have just yeah. said throwing. It's like nobody else throwing, treats it yeah. like that. Yeah. And then he brought up the point because uh, we were just like, you know, what's the difference? He goes, listen, people are just throwing more. And when you throw more, you get better at throwing. So we are just <laughs> conditioning the body to be able to handle a higher volume of throwing it's like yeah. Yeah, couldn't couldn't agree more like it's not that complicated and then i mean it is if you try to make that happen in 18 months right but if you're just like right. that's the way that i'm going to behave this whole entire time you know at, at even if it's at the age of 12 right that's just like you have just oh, so yeah. much time <laughs> 15 I mean, even but, but you know it's time. The only time that I ever had arm soreness ever was in college, and that's when I stopped playing football, and I played quarterback, so it's like I always threw the ball, like, the whole year, whether it be a baseball or a football, and then, like, I could throw forever in baseball, and then I stopped playing football, and it's like, well, now I can't throw forever ever anymore. Like, what the hell happened? So. That's, that's crazy. Yeah. yeah. And then, uh, I mean, for me um, – John and I have both always described having a rubber arm. Um, and then mine was just like, I didn't do anything and just didn't listen to my arm. Like I actually probably didn't 
I mean, there's there's part of it's like movement, you know, my movement wasn't efficient enough. I know that, but then it kind of was because I literally didn't have problems for months and years. And then I would take a break and I come back and it's just effed. So I remember my freshman year, he must've got a call, shoot. Um, I remember freshman year of college. Yeah, John, can you hear him? Can you hear us? I. Yeah, I got yeah, you. The call came through, so it just kicked me out for a second. Sometimes it kills the audio, so you can hear both of us? Yep. Great news. Perfect. Um, shoot, I lost my train of thought. I was in the middle of... You were a freshman in college. Oh, yeah. And um, so I broke my wrist. This is actually a stupid story and worth hearing if you haven't heard me say this. I slid feet first into second base playing um, Legion Baseball the summer after my senior year and I broke my right wrist slid on my left butt cheek feet first into second base and the shortstop had come across the bag and like his shin kind of like bumped into my wrist and shattered my wrist is the weirdest injury ever. I mean, not shattered, but like I had, I had, I fractured it. And, um, right. I think I, I might have got thrown out. Um, no, I, I think I was thrown out and then go out and I played third. Two of the three balls were hit to me. Two of the three outs were hit to me. So I had to catch a pop fly yeah. and then I had to throw the ball to first base with a broken wrist. And I did. It was like a little no. dribbler and like I had no time. And I'm like, this is so bad. I asked to get taken out of the game. I never do that. The next day, I went and played another game because I'm like, damn, I just got to do. And I hit a triple. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm, and so I went one for three with a triple. I'm like, okay. And then I went to the doctor. They're like, yep, you have a broken wrist. So anyway, um, I'm making that story long, but I didn't throw all summer is the point. And so I went into fall and I threw one inning in my freshman year of fall. And my arm was so damn sore that I didn't throw the rest of the season or the th- throw the rest of the fall. And I'm telling you, um, I, I actually haven't thought about this Um Everybody knows how important it is. If you're a freshman and you go in, you have to dominate and fall for you to have playing time. So I had one inning and I didn't, um, I was actually a way better hitter than I was a, a thrower at the time. And I got, I hadn't seen a live pitch in forever. So, I mean, I was swinging and missing at BP fastballs <laughs> and, um, and I was nervous as hell, all of these things. And I'm, I'm, sa- I'm getting stuck up on this because it hadn't occurred to me how much that had an impact on what I was able to do the next four years. I've always thought yeah. about it as like, a, oh, yeah, my freshman year, I pitched six and two thirds innings. And like I, I was a da- disaster all over the place. But, yeah, that was hugely that had a huge negative effect on me. And I obviously couldn't throw. I broke my right wrist. Like, I, what am I going to do? But yeah, what could have I done, John? I could have done arm throws with my cast on i could have been doing overload training all summer long with my freaking two pound cast um (laughs) have you seen us do uh hand throws uh i don't think so this is my one of my favorite things that john has shown besides so the glove and the hand throws we actually did this john what's the remote training video that you created where we do this where we demo this do you remember when Um, we did it right at the beginning of it's on youtube yeah, so we did, it was, um, what, the, this would have been late March, so look at... Yeah, we, we called it late. how to warm up, how to warm up for remote training with us. Okay, and so the idea would be, how many times do people not have equipment is, is more frequent than they would like, and people don't right. have solutions for that. And so the towel drill, I mean, we got, I'm going to say that, I don't care, Tom House just like 
freaking a week or two ago was on his Instagram saying the towel drill is the best drill for XYZ and ABC. I'm like, bro, like this is the thing with the towel drill, layback doesn't happen authentically and just so many things. And it could, you could actually do it. So here, for those of you that are watching and you want to do towel drill, take video of yourself doing a towel drill into the air, like literally long toss kind of towel drill. Make your target higher and you will start getting more authentic actual feelings of what's going on. And they do allude to this. They go, make sure that you're not doing towel drill on a bucket out in front of you. The biggest mistake that we see. But then they demo it and they show the same crappy stuff. So here's my point. I'll get you. When you do glove throws and when you do hand throws, it's the same exact thing. You go look at yourself in slow motion on, on, on video and you actually do it loose and you, you will display the same movement patterns. So when people like suggest that the towel drill, oh, you know, it's close enough. Of course, it's not going to be the same. It's only a towel. They say in their video that it's three or four ounces. Have you seen somebody throw a three to four ounce ball with zero layback? Uh-uh. It's a different move. You know, so when you rip a three ounce plyo ball, you get almost the same amount of layback. I don't know. I don't. Maybe I don't do enough research, but I get so jacked up about when I think about these things because I'm like, you don't have to think that long to realize that. So anyway, hand throw. Throw your hand if you were going to throw and you normally think about throwing at home plate. The feeling of doing a hand throw correctly is shooting your hand up like up into the right. That's where you have to throw your hand because this is what's actually doing it. So think about a wrist rate, wrist weight. Yeah. Yeah, they're sure. they're creating that tolerance, right? So yeah. they just go away from them. Yes. Okay, yep. that's healthy elbow extension. That's why they make sense. So you just have to, the, the great thing about um, hand throws and glove throws is um, <laughs> is that <laughs> happy anniversary, Wife says guys. hi. Thank you. Oh. I'll, I'll let her know. Is, yesterday, um, yeah. Yesterday was our anniversary. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank healthy you. elbow extension because you don't worry about anything else besides the hand. And so the biggest, the, the biggest negative with like a glove throw or a hand throw is that you could misplace the healthy elbow extension. Does that make sense? I think. Okay. So let me use, yes. Here. Okay. Well, I want to actually do it without showing because we have people that just listen to this. So, okay. So you let's imagine that you're releasing the ball. Okay. And so you're at pitch release and your hips, your pelvis is facing home and your shoulders are facing home. Okay. Everything is just squared up. Your right shoulder is not in front of your left shoulder. You are just completely neutral with third and first. Okay. I'm not saying that's right. I'm saying, okay, let's work from zero degrees is yeah, right yeah, there. Yeah, I got you. You're fine. Uh, okay. And then I'm saying for the people at home too. So then, so what I'm saying is, okay, so healthy, healthy patterns are going to be, and I, and this is, this isn't real. I think the average is like 30 degrees in front. So the back shoulder, you know, at pitch release is roughly 30 degrees in front of the front shoulder at pitch release. Yep. I think John is closer to 45 and I've made comments in other episodes of how I think that there might be to something to that idea that he errs on that 45 degree side because there's, he loses it back here. He has early trunk rotation, but he gets away with it because of how much he gets his right shoulder in front of his left. Okay. So you understand the degrees, 30 to 40 degrees, somewhere in there. And then there's the upwardness. So you have to actually feel the hand go that way. Um, Like I'm, what I'm doing right now is I'm like, 
So imagine if you're at a stadium, I'm right-handed, I'm throwing my hand up at the upper right, upper deck, right? Because what happens at the end, where's my hand, is my hand does this. Yeah. So this makes this, I mean, I'll get there. Okay, so um, if you remember, do you remember the Trevor Bauer video when he was talking about what creates, um, if you release the ball completely out to the side, it's actually the best for velocity, but it's the worst for health. And that if you throw yeah. the ball like straight in front of you, that's the best way for health. Okay, and that's just healthy elbow sure. extension. So yeah. the point is, is that when we do this correctly, no matter what, there is still force going away from the shoulder. Like the hand, this is centrifugal yeah. force. That, I mean, that's what it is, right? And so my yeah. point is, is when you have an implement in your hand, it's much less obvious how to create healthy elbow extension because you're worried about the implement. So whether it's a ball, whether it's a towel drill, whether wh whatever it is, your body will innately choose to uh, prioritize that. And when you prioritize the hand and you're throwing the hand, you can now create healthy elbow extension um, because that's what you're searching for. You're not searching for a release point. You're not searching for this to be as hard as you can or it's just, it, it shows you what healthy elbow extension is. Um, and so what it's allowed me to do is I was scared to throw as hard as I could because of the, uh, the, my, I have a torn rotator cuff labrum, UCL, like a lot of things going on, adhesions everywhere. Right. Um, and I, and so I was scared to make like, um, high effort throws like this or, and, and let the shoulder relax. And as soon as I started doing hand throws, I realized that if I extended in a healthy way. If I had healthy elbow extension, that I had zero discomfort in my shoulder. So the last thing, and then I'll shut up. So this is, I mean, this just goes back to the wrist weight thing. So you should hypothetically be able to throw your arm away from you with a implement in your hand as hard as you possibly can with zero discomfort. Like you'd really, really have to get distracted. You'd really have to distract the hand with a lot of weight or, or force or whatever. And, and I just don't see that happening. So, um, that's my point. But then people don't express that healthy pattern when they do this. So that's where the hand throw can happen. Can you help me? Do you know what I mean by that direction? Is there a better way to describe that? Or Cass, can I say one thing? So like yep. when you're doing this, like when you're saying like up towards the upper deck, that's why the overhead stuff is important. Like you're doing it in the context of rotation. So the arm doesn't go up, but that movement is relevant as far as getting your arm out towards your target. That's why John can get 45 degrees of trunk rotation when he releases the ball is because he can do that. So again, this is, this is, I, I don't understand thanks, how, well, I just don't understand what how much say? it is in the, he said, thanks. Yeah. Um, what, what I don't understand <laughs> is how um, you just have to like, that's not what's moving. Like your lat is lengthening. This is a thoracic move. Like this is not, this is not independently up and down. Like it, it's yeah, going to so sit read, in have here. Have you read the book Anatomy Trains or even looked at like the posters of like the, lat, the, the, the lines of fascia and stuff like that? No. So you should just Google it. Just type in like Anatomy Trains posters and then like look at them. Like basically like our lines of fascia, like, they can only get like they can only get so lengthened and then they have to like shorten it's just like a muscle except like a line of fascia is just like a chain of muscles basically right it's basically what the kinetic chain is it's just like an actual like visual way of like seeing what it is so like 
when you think about like your lateral line, like if you can get your arm up like this and create a shit ton of length, I don't know if I can swear on here, sorry. Create a bunch oh, of length definitely right swear. here. Then that allows me to get my arm out really, really far this way when I rotate so I can get that trunk rotation for healthy deceleration. Like if I is Steve is, is Steve Cshek is Steve Cshek uh, uh is Steve Cshek an overhead thrower? Are sidearm and submarine guys overhead throwers? Uh, that's not the argument I'm making. No, I'm I, asking. I don't think so. But they are. But the length of their lateral line is still really important. I'm not saying that you have to be an overhead thrower. I'm saying that if you that's not what I'm saying either. Lateral line during your throw, even if your arm is not up really, really high, then you can get that trunk rotation that you're looking for. But this is what I'm saying is Steve Ciszek should be classified as an overhead thrower then. Because if you take away his ipsilateral tilt and you stand him up, the angles are exactly the same. So the, 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 the things that I, I mean, and again, maybe, maybe this is something that we have to dig into and I'm not doing the homework, but I just don't get it. No, I think fine. it's the same. I, I, you know, I'm telling people, and, and again, maybe somebody needs to, you know, maybe I'm not listening enough, but I'm going to tell a shortstop that you should do our program because when you learn how to throw correctly, I don't care. John and I can go play shortstop. No problem. I can go. We have the ability to play any position on the field because of the work that we've done as pitchers. I'm not saying that's always common, right? But like, I just know that we have good enough patterns to be able to just bend over and throw a submarine, bend over, throw sidearm. And like, I, I'm, what I'm struggling with is I understand that you need to lengthen the lat, but I'm not like when I go to here, like this is, this is lengthening that way. I just don't get it. Anyway, we, we got to, this isn't, this isn't as, as good for the podcast as it is for us to talk about these things in depth yeah, on the yeah. phone and other times, but um, it's an interesting topic and I appreciate you going this far into it. We, I think we just talked to like freaking 30 minutes about being an overhead athlete and I'm yeah, not yeah, quite so okay. sure that I. No, but it's um, confusing. I, I don't think, it, I don't think you guys went into anything that was difficult because it is confusing, you know, like there's so, so much information about it and whether it's an overhead or it's not, or, you know, and even when you guys are talking about it and all the phrasing that you're using, like my internal self of how I deal with information. And if you guys are just using all these strong words, it's just nothing, but just, I'm just, ah, like, I'm just, ugh, you know, I'm hearing pro proximals and extensions and numbers and all that stuff. And, yeah, and yeah. you know, it, it, but it's important. You know what I mean? But, and I can see the debate of, of what it is. And as I'm watching, you know, Kurt, you're breaking down the information, the, you know, some of, some of the light that's being brought in there, Cass, I don't, I think you guys should keep going into that because there was things that what I felt or, and what Kurt was talking about describing and what you're saying, Cass, that, that resonate with the feeling that I have, right? So when we get to that 30 to 45 degree angle that you guys are talking about when I'm throwing at release, um, to me, the right shoulder out front idea is just the, you know, it, it's, it's, it's the extension thing, right? The, the triangle point of extension of the arms, right? Your, if your shoulders are square and your arm goes in front of your shoulder, you can only reach so far, right? Well, as soon as the right, right. shoulder goes forward, you can just go yep. further. I don't know if I was just figured out how to do that. You know what I mean? But I know that it right. creates my extension, not only as far as like the degrees in front of my shoulder, but like literally closer. 
So um, I think personally that that costs me a little bit of velo um, in, in the acceleration part, but in the same sense, what is velo because I'm getting closer when I release it. So then it's changing how, you know, when the hitter seeing the ball. So, you know, I personally, yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't have any issues. You know what I mean? My, I never get stuck. My arm always seems to get past my front hip. That's where the, the rules, those ideas came up um, where, once I realized how it was to get there and fold, you know, Cass has been talking about folding a lot lately. And I always feel like my shoulders fold into my left hip. Um, and I try to do it as fast as I can when I'm really trying to rip and looking at old video of myself, it, you know, it, it really looks like that's what I'm trying to do where I'm really just turning as fast and as violently as I can to create that tether ball effect, you know, on that path to be able to rip that ball all the way around. I like that you said tetherball. If you have something, Kurt, I have an idea. So if you want to ask something. No, go for it. So um, I talked to Raj last night of Synapse, John, for like two hours. And he brought up the tetherball analogy again, um, basically just saying that we need to have something stable to rotate around um, in order to rotate efficiently. And my impression is that this is all about the front hip and the front leg. And that's what we're rotating about. And he talked about how in tennis, the glove side can act like a stable thing to rotate around. And um, this is, this is here we go, rule number two. So rule number two, don't cross the hands. Um, this is something that David Weck made me start questioning. Also the fact that people cross and we know that they're good and they cross, but also we're not saying it's a law. But my point is this, is there something that you know of because it used to be this stuff right it used to be the equal and opposite like everything comes back together kind of thing and um and then when i watch john throw his glove side does freeze if we're going real right there's a moment where the, the glove side does kind of anchor down and stop moving i don't know what i'm i don't i think what i'm saying is i'm i'm starting to wonder because we keep on talking about the glove hand going down. Um, I've really talked about like, regardless of where you are from a slot standpoint, um, you should be like taking the front shoulder and going boom, right onto the front sh front foot. So there should be some sort of elevation into boom, because that verticalization and like going down onto the front foot will make you, I mean, it's, it's no different than, I just think it's a better way of thinking about stopping on the front side than thinking about stopping in a linear if you think about stopping as being more of a vertical movement, um, I think it's much more effective in, in creating the front side block. I got distracted. I agree. I'm, I am telling you this. Oh, cause rule two. So I'm wondering if um, I've been trying to figure out if there's like a movement reason or that there's something a little bit like outside of baseball that would help me answer this question. So what I'm saying, let me just fucking show you. Okay. So it would be like, we're saying that this is going to happen, right? We're basically saying that this is going to be happening and that you just go like that, right? And that there's yeah. this happening within it. But what I'm suggesting now is that there's this like the natural retraction of getting the hand to come down, right? You positive disconnect, whatever you want to call it. But then the question is, is it bad to then maintain that as you rotate? Or is it 
you get to this point and then it stays there. And this is the whole, um, my coaching college said, imagine your fire poles out here and you get to here and then you stop. And that's like that point of, you know, that's, that's that anchored point. And it happens too much. And you have too many people like talking about the glove being tucked and all of that to make me go, I wonder if there's a better way to say rule two. I'll say one more thing. I, I love, okay. So in, in defense of the rules, okay. Rule one, good luck. Good luck arguing that with me. Cause it's, it's the most fundamental thing in sports. Like, move in sync with one another that's all we're saying in rule number one rule number two hands don't cross okay rule number three hands go past the front hip okay rule number two and three are the same exact rule okay but the thing with the hands crossing is like a lot of people like a lot of youth athletes cross all the time so you go and watch a little league game and like everybody on the field crosses like not some of them everybody i told this was i was really jacked up about this like uh last year when i went to arizona to watch hamlin play um I want so I watched a D3 double header and there were like four guys that didn't cross their arms. And the point is is what does this mean? This means that they're not finishing their their chunk rotation. Right? So then rule 3 is never happening. So most of the time when guys cross, youth athletes cross, they don't actually finish their rotation. But when you see Garrett Cole cross, I almost just shout I almost just specifically told that guy Anyway, when Garrett Cole crosses, his trunk rotation is fantastic, right? He's he, sure. he leaves his glove side there. He goes underneath his arm, and his shoulders are completely facing first base by the time the ball, you know, by the time he's done. So I don't care if you cross if you have that kind of turn. Mobility. And I don't yeah. think John would either. He wouldn't be like, oh, great freaking throw, but you cross your arms. It's like, nah, bro, you just like – you threw Ched where you wanted to because that's just what your body wanted to do. So anyway – I don't know if I'm asking. Is it really a question of how far the 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 front arm goes this way? So like, hold on. I'm asking is, do you know of a reason, like a real reason, why the glove side shouldn't keep moving? Well, I mean, in a lot of like the row stuff that I do, I usually do like rotational rows. So instead of doing like a row like like this, or even like a one arm row. I usually will do a row now, like where I'll go like this. And when my arm comes even with my rib cage, I turn it into T-spot rotation. So like, so when I do rows, I'm usually doing like a press on the opposite side, like, like that kind of. When I think that um, when you talk about what the body could do, I think there's an argument talking about the chest is the argument would be that the chest, the pec just got stretched out. So you could actually boom bring that back in, right? So the positive disconnect stretches out the front pec, and then you could actively do the opposite um, as the right. T-spine is going in the opposite direction, right? So the T-spine, yeah. But like this right here isn't really like a supported shoulder position. So like this, if I'm going, if I pull all the way to here, I mean, that doesn't really- Can you, can you make that move? Do you notice that you're elbowing third base right now? Could, or first base, could you make that move down like to your left foot, like that. that like where's that, my? That, where my that's the move. I, I'm just sitting in a chair. No, that was that, that was it. Yeah, that was it. That was it. Yeah, like that. No, so think about if you take that move to your front foot. Do it one more time. 
Yeah, that's it. You just have to make sure that you go down. It's yeah, it's hide, the, a, hide a low, think hide a low cable pole. Well, but okay, right. that's how John so. says it. What I have been wondering is this is where the WEC method stuff comes in. I'm not I'm not discrediting John's stuff, by the way. I think it's the best oh, no, the no, best no, thing that I've ever yeah, we know I'm we're... saying for the record record of the audience. So the the WEC method thing of pulsing down into the foot is what I'm really leaning into right now. Is that right. um I yeah, think that's the way I've been thinking about it since you told me yesterday. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um when I pull down from the gun position on my glove side hard, I feel like I add energy to my front leg to help me stop. Yes. So sense. if I direct if I direct my glove side energy anywhere besides down into the left leg, it's counterproductive. Like and Kurt, then I was we do a drill or I was doing a drill a while ago in at, at the other gym where I was showing guys and we're doing plyo throws to show that you actually have front leg stability and body control. After you throw it, you jump up off your left foot. And um, it's something. I haven't posted that yet. I have it in slow motion. Um, I, but I do it. If you do it right. Like I saw it, dude, I saw a Konyo hundred dude jumping up in the air after the throw craziest thing I've ever seen. Right. And then the guy on the same team, I saw someone like use the ground in a weird way or it was almost like he didn't release his backside also thrown a hundred but with the, one of the big things that i noticed is the front leg like heaviness right was unreal with both of these guys right one guy was super explosive got into it and was like bugs bunny and like would hit bounce up in the air with his arm and just be like he'd finish up in this like stroman spider-man position all the time i'm like dude you are yeah. crazy to watch throw and granted you know weird control not very good right but through 100 you know but he was a he was more of a slider you know fastball middle slider guy and then the other dude was just a different kind of movement much slower but like really just dragging into the earth and like just creating you know really stable lower half with a fast upper half on rotation hmm. yeah i don't know i mean i don't it's it's strange. I, I I don't know. I think I have to learn more about like the the weck thing about like pulling that front side down to like be able to. Well, really okay. So have you way. seen the pulsers? I don't think so. Is that the things that you like swing around and stuff? No, that's the RMT ropes. You're talking the ropes, oh, it's, right? Uh, like little uh, sand like sand, sand shakers. Yeah, there you go. Okay, so the idea is that you're double down pulsing is the phrase. So both hands go like this. Okay, and so if I was going to round first base, which is, by the way, this is one of the biggest reasons in baseball why this, I don't know how these are not going to just blow up in baseball. Okay, so actually that's not fair. Okay, so if I'm rounding first base, most people are going to like race car drive it and like lean this way. But if you pull your hands over on this side of your body and start pulsing, you like drift. So that's like one little thing where hand placement in um, hand placement, just like in locomotion in general, I, I've never heard anybody talk about it. So that where the hands are and then the act of the both hands pulsing down. So these just like make you feel it as you jog and then like jumping. Um, gosh, do, do you know? This is the other thing. Do you know how many people throw their arms up as they jump? Hey, I'm going to throw Probably. some force up that way. 
while I'm trying to put force into the ground. That makes no sense at all. And so these, these, dude, I, I don't have to say that I'm just so excited because it exposes jumping patterns it exposing shuffle, like the whole thing. Um, and so that's where it stemmed from. And so what I find myself doing as I run with them is I'll start directing my, um, these pulsers too much one way or the other. And they're, tw I have the 12 ounce ones, which they don't make anymore. So they're all eight ounce ones now. But, um, so it's real obvious to me is my point is when I don't pulse into my foot because I don't get the added benefit of like that thing, you know? And so that's where it's all stemmed from. It's, it's stemmed from, you're trying to create ground reaction force. So why wouldn't you put more force into your leg? And so use your upper half to pulse into the ground and you gain the benefit of that. Um, there's other things. It's a little, um, you know, he's so dramatic and I don't help because I'm dramatic a little bit too, but um, there are moments <laughs> where there have been moments and, and he's described this, so I get it, but there have been moments where I go, oh my gosh, this is easier the harder I try. And that means the harder that I pulse down, the more I, I like get it back. So if you go like that, if you throw your shoulder down as hard as you can, what's it going to do? It's going to come back up. It's going to come back up. And so the more that you give down into the pulse, the more that you receive the recoil of it. And then all you have to do is just like, boom, let it go. And then let it go. And then you start playing with the hands too. Um, so you start like opening one joint as you close the other one, opening one joint as you close the other. And and so I've really been playing with this as I'm running. And well, have um, you ever done that? Have you ever seen like, or have you ever tried to almost like run like you're doing a doggy paddle? Um, no, tell me more about that. It's fascinating so if i'm if i'm running and i'm trying to run for time so like let's say i'm trying to run like a quarter mile as fast as i can if i go if i run and i think like when i go to run every time that i go to bring my arm back i'm gonna do it like i'm swimming and yes. like stroke like this it's absurd how much faster i run with the same effort okay so i'm not um this is just an interesting take when i hear that okay I love the, this part. So to me, it's not, this is what's wrong about that from my experience is that it's a f overhand move. Running is an underhand figure eight. What you just showed me was an overhand figure eight. So why I think it works is because, okay, this move is not the move. It's the move after that, that matters because this is the move. Sure. That, this is the loading move, right? Right. So, so yes, functionally it's great, well, but then the point is thinking the run is coming from, right? So if it's the muscles that are in your core that are driving the thoracic spine movement to be able to keep your legs straight when you run, then like, it's kind of both moves. It's not just one or the other, but I, I do know well, what you're saying. His argument is that, I mean, that, I don't know. Form running is what he's attacking. And for, I don't ever hear David talking about, um, I don't know. I, I, anyway, again, that part is out of my lane. I know enough to like be interested in things, but I can't sit and have a roundtable discussion on David. I Weck can't either. David. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, just point try is, to. You can try it if you go for a run. Oh, for sure. Just, just for, for giggles sure. for a quarter mile. Be like, I'm gonna swim for this quarter mile, and listen no, to your run time, where you're gonna be like, wow. Yep. 
And what, well, and this is, and again, what I like about that is when you start going here. So when you start turning your hands in, when you start pronating things, you're closing off the shoulder joints. And so most people are running with just open, they're swinging open joints. And when you leverage the internally rotated shoulders, now you have the ability to go boom, right? And so like, I'm being dramatic for us to see it, but it's simply that there's so much more rotation in athleticism than I think people understand. And that yep. when we think about running, I, I don't think people understand or see the amount of rotation in um, in running. So yep. that's that's kind of, and, and then going back to your, you know, your guy saying that throwing is, is a fundamental human movement. I mean, John loved when I started bringing that up because how many people say that throwing is an unnatural motion, you yep. know, and- um, Everybody. Yeah, it's, yeah it's, so like, I just... it's, it's crazy how we like we deny history, you know, in that idea. Yep. Like we, so well, just the point. The point is the volume. Like people weren't out. Like man, I'm gonna throw 700 spears today to like create a tolerance for that time I go out hunting. Like they just did what they had to do. And throwing... in caveman throwing academies, like just kids just lined up with technique, just ripping spears just ripping spears into walls plyo yeah. spears it'd probably be like into slaves or some weird shit <laughs> just coconuts and rocks into the wall so the arm becomes strong enough to throw the spear yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, i distracted on that yeah for sure well okay, um, so the, i don't know the how rule two is the thing yeah you i will okay so let's let's at least finish this idea Rule number two with them crossing. I don't think that there's anything wrong by saying that outside of there might be, I'm trying to figure out if there's something wrong by us saying that. And that's what I'm trying to figure out. So if you leave the left hand, like on top of the foot, like in space, right? Not literally on top of the left foot. But if you try to keep the left hand or the left arm over the left leg longer, I wonder if there's a benefit. So all I'm trying to do is figure out if us saying the rules, rule two, if, if that's just not, not very helpful. But I'll say this again, one more time. We don't say the rules to say that they're absolutes. We say the rules because it's one of the best ways we've ever seen kids react to information. So when whether you're five or whether you're 25, when you have three simple guidelines to follow and they're the rules that John thought of, it just happens to fix a bunch of shit. So it's not foolproof. I'll, you have to know what you're doing. I'll loop in a little a little science thing that we used to say a lot, like when I used to work at the Food and Drug Administration. All models are wrong, some are useful. So like, you're never gonna invent something that's like perfect. Like, and if you try to invent something that's perfect, you're going to create too many rules and you're going to overfit. So like you're John, I think like, I can't speak on like the quality of the rules that you have. Cause like, I don't like really use them and I don't really teach throwing like that. But like, what I will say is that like, I think a good general rule is if you have like rules that govern anything, if you have less than like four or five, then you're probably in a good place. Because if you try to create like 12 rules, no one's going to satisfy all 12 and you're just going to be searching for perfection and then you won't be able to actually develop people into good athletes because they'll just get locked in. What is that? Oh, yeah, of course. So 
so yeah so like for me like i i don't have three like movement rules that i would just shout off the top of my head for like hitting but like my three things that i'm always trying to fit are get in the way of the ball as quick as possible um create as much force as possible and stay in the in the way of the ball for as long as possible and as long as those three things are like optimized then we're good and everything that I come up with or that I work on, like movement wise, like if it doesn't fit those three things, it's out and I don't use it. So Can like, you get it? have you thought it's like something occurred where you're like, oh yeah, I can't use that because it doesn't follow those. Yeah. Like a million things. Let me see if I can think of one. Oh, um, oh yeah. I was just curious. I mean, not to do the whole, like, let's talk about teacher man thing. But like, but just let's like do the, it. I mean, like, you know, teacher man always does like the, like, how quick can you hit the ball kind of thing, which is like, like cool, baby. really important. What's that? Launch quickness. I'm tongue in cheeking. Yeah, 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 yeah. So like, while that's like really important and you want that number to be like as low as possible, like, if that also doesn't satisfy the other two rules, like, if you aren't able to keep your bat in the way of the ball for as long as possible. And also if that doesn't generate the most force possible, then like I throw it out. So like, as long as you're within, you know, a couple meaning like two or three hundredths of a second of that numeric value that teacher man's guys are creating. And then you're able to make that up on the backside with the power that you create and um, with how long you're able to stay in the path of the pitch then like that's a sacrifice that I'm okay with making. So it's like a conscious decision on my, my part to not chase that. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think what's so helpful is that, you know, you alluding to three or, you know, just a small amount. It's not that that's the end all be all. It's not that that's like the end. It's that it's that you have to have a beginning. Right. And so like, whatever i don't care it's not like richard watches this shit um <laughs> where where is any of that simple you know and that's one of the things that me and retka talk about and we've talked about a lot of times it's like you know he was just talking about having richard out back uh 2017 i think he brought him out to minnesota that's where our relationship yep. started and um and it was like that was the best that he could do at that point but then immediately there was just so many things. It, it just wasn't working. His kids weren't getting better. He was, They weren't responding to that stuff because it's so complicated. Like I literally had to have this guy come out to like try to explain to me what I didn't understand. And, you know, when you, I mean, how many times have we had conversations about clarification on this stuff and that it didn't become so clear, you know? And then, um, oh man. This is less of a, this is more of just like Doug Latta is so great and that that's what I was so attracted to, right? Is that it just made it yeah. so simple and it gave you a starting place. And it's like, what's, what's the most important thing? Balance. What else? No, well, balance. No, what else? Balance. <laughs> and it's like, well, right. the point is, is that if you, if you have the security and you've done the work, you know, you know, the mental security, it's like, I don't need to, I don't need to tell you what balance is to me. Like you can come and train with me and find out but I also, it allows then, you know, the person that isn't super geeked out about that to be accessible too, you know, and that's probably the biggest thing that I've realized is, you know, John's over here saying like, 
dude, you guys get a little wordy. And it's like, yeah, I know a lot of people don't like that. And you want to know how I know? Just go try something new. Go play a new sport, play a new game, do something new. And then when they start trying to make it complicated, you'll notice. And yeah, so anyway, uh, that's something that I remember my bosses in Minnesota saying, what are the three most important things in pitching? I'm like, hell, if I know, I can't, right. I can't answer that. There's 17,000 things. <laughs> um, but yeah, so yeah like, anyway, from my perspective, it's always, those are the three universal truths that I'm always trying to accomplish. And the things like the movement things, like, for example, like the rules, like you guys are talking about John, like my rules may change over time. Like based, like if I find new information that satisfy the three parameters that I'm trying to address. Right. So like right now, like the, the, I guess if I were to say like three rules, it would be like move forward, um, head back and keep your hands high. And then like rotate, obviously that would be like number four, but like, that's kind of like a universal of like everything I do. So I don't really have to talk about it. Do those things and then don't swing. Like it would never happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. Move forward, keep your so. head back and keep your hands high and then just watch the ball go by you. Like that wouldn't happen is, I yeah, think it would just, exactly. right. That's so, your point. So I want to say something funny right now. Um, and yeah. maybe, um, so for those of you that are listening, I'm holding up a picture of me and my best friend Lincoln um, catching. He, he caught me. This is like the only picture I have of me playing baseball. Uh -huh. I'm only telling you this because I just went like this. <laughs> I touched my picture, my real life picture frame. Like and tried to blow, thinking yeah. I could zoom in like it was a phone. And I, I think Unreal. that is ridiculous that our brain does that to us sometimes. Unreal. That's funny. Oh man. Um, well, shit. Kurt, well, yeah, I mean, let, let's transition a little bit over to like what you got going on over there. Um, you know, in yeah. Virginia, um, I've seen a bunch of your stuff. You've been putting on some quality content. Um, can we, can we talk about, you know, the business, you know, and, and where you're at with what, what, what do you like right now? Yeah. You mean like with COVID and all this? Well, I mean, yeah, anything. What's what's new on on the brain? I mean, it uh, this this time I, I've really been liking asking a lot of people because it seems like that the incubation period is really allowed for people to like expand some ideas and some thoughts on things. So I'm just wondering if you have have anything new that you're, you know, kicking right now. Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, like a lot of the the posture stuff, like some of the stuff I showed you guys um, I've been doing a lot of that stuff lately and really diving into how like how much space we're able to create between our vertebrae like relates to how well we can rotate like that's kind of been like my rabbit hole that I've been down lately um, is that on... vertically yes um, so that's kind of like the rabbit hole that I've been down um, Lately, with regard to like the business, I mean, we've been doing all remote like training for both like doing some group strength training and then lessons. Um, well, can can you tell thing. us a little bit more about this, like the team that you created? Because that that's new to this, and and I actually don't know exactly who's all there either. So 
give me a little bit more oh, about like the team like, and how you guys, yeah, yeah, yeah so came, like, how'd you come uh, together and like, what's the expertise? Like give us okay, a little more yeah, insight okay. into your team. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I, I forgot we hadn't talked about it, but on this, so, um, back in, I guess it was like March, I partnered with, um, Aaron Tarr, who at the time was 2019 area. Yeah. It would have been 2019. Yep. Um, I partnered with Aaron Tarr, who at the time was a high school coach in the area that had won a bunch of conference championships and stuff like that. Now he's the volunteer assistant at Georgetown. Um, so he'll be, um, so, you know, obviously their season shut down, so they're kind of on pause right now. Um, and then another guy I partnered with, his name's Lansing Beater. Um, probably should have gotten drafted. He is like five, six and can, can still throw like 90, but you know, when he was in college, like he could throw like 94, 95, um, and he's five, six. So he's very fast twitch and very, very strong. Um, and then and he's just a really great baseball guy in the area and really well-respected. So those are my two partners. And then, um, how old are they? Also work. What's that? How old are they? Aaron is 40 and Lansing's 26. Okay. Yeah. And then, uh, our, guy who's like our he works with our catchers and then he also like is works with a lot of our pitchers his name is james james keller he's uh he was uh working in uh double a for the tigers um this year but he um you know obviously the season got postponed so we're just kind of waiting on that now so um and then the other guy that works with us his name is mitch aker and he used to play in the diamondbacks organization as a pitcher so he he is his uh um, degree in uh, kinesiology, so he does a lot of our strength training stuff. Um, awesome. So yeah, we have we have two weight racks there. Um, we have two two lanes, one long lane that you can like throw a full pen in, and then one um, shorter lane that like has our hitch racks in it and stuff like that, where we do most of our hitting stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean it's not like a huge space, but like it gets it done. Everything we need is right there. Um, when we're functional, we do, um, you know, lessons and group training. Um, you know, I had, you know, up until that point, I'd built such a, like a lesson following that it was kind of just something that we continued to do. And from sometimes with the intricacy of hitting stuff, like the lesson format does work pretty well, but usually the, the way it works best is that like you do like a lesson every two weeks or like a lesson a month or something like that. And then you would do group training on the sides. So that way you can get your throwing work in and you can get your strength work in and like the application of the hitting work. So like, you know, um, whether you're hitting off a machine or you're um, just taking batting practice or, or what have you. So um, that's kind of the way our business works and it flows. So, um, you know, we're constantly adapting and evolving, um, but, you know, that's kind of where we're at right now. And, you know, while we were still able to be open, like it was going great. So, um, yeah, I really like that, you know, bit. yeah, just between our conversations and you know that how I feel about lessons and stuff. Um, it's, I will, I will, I will stick up for you in that, like the fact that you're pairing that and saying that and creating that language with people, you know, I think um, for the record, for people that have heard me say that lessons are stupid, that's how you mitigate that, right? Their lessons, of course, are not stupid. If you do something like that, what's stupid is when people pay $75 for a 30-minute lesson or whatever, the $50 for a 30-minute lesson, right? And like, that's their training. 
right? Like right. that's, that we all know that that's not good enough. So I know that like from a right. homework standpoint, we've talked a lot about, um, actually, this is a great app. How do you, um, cause you kind of assess your people. You, uh, you don't just like take anybody. You have to make sure that like they're in, you know, they understand yeah. what the kind of commitment is. You know, we've talked about in the past, I've heard Kurt say like, I've had parents that want something completely different than what I want. And I just say that this is not going to work. And, and we've talked both as, as young coaches, like, it's a really hard thing to turn away people, um, but you have to. So, yeah, I mean, it used to not happen at all, right? I always created the space for it, like in the evaluation to be like, no, but like when you're broke and you're trying to build a business, you just work with anybody, you know what I mean? But then, like, in the past year, it's been more of a situation where, like, you know, if there's someone that, like, you know, I don't want to work with because they're not committed and, or it's like kind of like a babysitting environment where they just want something they're, you know, something to do for their kid. Then like, we just, we're just not going to do it. You know, like, um, I'll give you, I'll give you like a five second example. Like this winter, um, we, we did like these like eight week, like hitting camps, which, which went like pretty well, but generally speaking, the people that like signed up for it, like probably like 75% of them were just like, Oh, well, I kind of play baseball. And it just kind of was nobody, like none of our staff liked doing it. Like I didn't enjoy it, you know, other than like the select three or four kids that were there that were like awesome to work with. Like I didn't enjoy it. None of our staff enjoyed it. And it's like, you know, the, one of the biggest things is that, like, I want like our staff to feel excited about coming into work and like excited about what they're doing. And they just didn't like it. And I was like, okay, we're not doing it. So like now we don't do those classes anymore because like, if my staff doesn't like doing it, like, why am I going to offer this in a situation where they're not going to be happy like that? So I, we didn't do it. So, um, yeah. You know I want to I like just speak on that. Well, I, I want to also say that um, this presents a weird. Okay. So let's say we're trying to solve that problem just for hypothetical. Sure. And it wasn't that, you know, another way to solve that problem. Hey, um, let me get my phone charger. Give me one second. My phone's dying. Yeah. yeah well, I can, I can still say this. So it's the idea that, um, Okay, so you have a bunch of kids that aren't there. So the point is, is that what Kurt and his people are doing is like they're offering a very quality, high product. Like these guys are super educated, as he already said. And like, you know, so so when you have that kind of competency, you typically want that to be matched by the athlete. You know, um, I heard somebody talking about, this is not baseball related. Um, it was, he was basically, I think he was a professor and he quit being a professor not because he didn't like what he was doing or the people that he was with, but 18 year olds couldn't actually understand what he was. Um, they couldn't use what he was saying. So he had fantastic information that was well-constructed and basically was like, Hey, if you live like this and you make decisions like this, like that's going to have huge implications on your family life, on your personal life, on your business, like all of these things. And he was like, but 18 year olds don't know how to use that information yet. So I went to more of the, you know, 40 to 60 year olds, because these are the kinds of people that are willing to say, I've been doing everything wrong my whole entire life. I'm going to change my behavior because this isn't working. 
18-year-olds just don't have the capacity to do that. Like 98% of them don't, right? And so it's very similar to that idea of like, um, it's so helpful that you're recognizing these things on that, but because you're just doing what you're what you want to do. And I think that's the best thing for everybody. But I just want to say this for the other people. It's like, this is what makes it hard because if Kurt was to take another solution and Ignite was to take another solution, that would be like, well, these kids don't want to do what we're doing right now, even though this is the right thing for us to be doing. So let's do what they want to be doing. And that's going to look bad to the people buying it. So then they're not buying it. And so this is this weird thing where like, if I actually gave you what you needed right now, you would probably complain that this is not enough baseball because their lack of interest is like, they're not committed to that level. So they want to just like have fun, you know? And so like right. in that situation, if you guys would have played like tag and then another game and then another game, and then just like, you know, took BP for 20 minutes, every single kid in that whole thing might've had like, Oh, I'm coming back. This is awesome. And, right. and then maybe six months down the road, that transitions into kids that have seen what the app, you know, the committed people look like, and then they bring them in. The question always comes down to, do I want to be babysitting in this situation? And do, are people going to do that anyway? Right. Or should I just tell them exactly what you did and make your people happy? And when they're ready to be there, attract the people that work for you. And, and that's, that's clearly the, the thing in our world. We talked about it with MSP fitness um, the guy that taught me Olympic lifting because um, he he turns people away all the time and and they might even want to work with him, but he's just he just knows that he is not looking for somebody who is trying to deadlift 500 pounds um, in six months. He's looking for somebody that wants to be healthy for the rest of their life. And so when people come to him with superficial goals, he just tells them that it's not going to work out. And what I'm saying is like, there's also this part where you could take those people and then educate them and go beyond. But anyway, I'll bring it back to this is Raj and I were talking about this. And, and the point is this, I have never thought about this. I'm always going to be the guy that's like, oh, but those kids, if they get the right thing, I'll inspire them and then they'll become baseball players. And then I'll have that on my resume. And what Raj brought up is like, these people are always actually just telling you exactly how they are. So most of these people that 75% of them aren't committed in five years, how much you do, like, let's say you went all in on them, that probably, the number is probably only like 50%. Maybe you turn a couple of them. And then, and then the idea too was what kind of people don't treat things seriously like that? What kind of people pay for that show up and then don't take it seriously? Are they just going to come become different people in, in two years? Are you really that inspirational? <laughs> and I'm like, no, right. I'm not, I'm not that cool. I, I will do my best, but at the end of the day, if you're not very committed as the athlete, it doesn't matter how good I am. So anyway, I'm just it's, it's one of those things where um, as a good coach, you need to recognize who those people are that you need to like encourage and like bring out of the, the depths. But then also you have to know how to be like, bro, you're never going to be worth my time. And that doesn't mean I think you're a bad person. It's just like I'm, I'm clearly setting up my boundaries as a coach and as a trainer. I think it's I think just like about problem. like how do you as a person want to spend your time? Like, do I want to spend time with people who are passionate about the same thing that I am? And like the answer is yes. And like, if you don't show any passion, like, what are we doing here? So your job, us. your job is not to create passion in baseball. It's to yeah right. and yeah yeah. 
and that I mean that can, same thing can kind of be said with like trying to like learn new things and like add new things to what you guys are already doing with people. It's like, you know, I I'm never afraid to like try something new or different because like I know that like we could be going the right direction or we could not be going the right direction and you know the freedom and kind of flexibility that like all three of us have to be able to do that kind of stuff like I think is is awesome and I think that's one of the things that's awesome about like working for yourself or working you know closely with people that um and you can kind of make decisions together so I mean we've we change what we do like every day and always try to like edit so yeah I love it, man. Oh, I'll, I'll just say this. Uh, we, we should wrap it up here. We're going on 90 minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, I got to get some more takeaway. I'll, I'll just say this. Um, I, I, for, for those of you watching, they, they put out, um, you guys put out fantastic content. What I always appreciate about Kurt is he's always willing to, like, he's always willing to go as deep as you want to go. Um, so we've gone down some huge rabbit holes in our relationship. But then also, like, you do such a good job of putting these things out and your own content. And I know since the business, you're always hard on yourself. Like, yeah, I could do more. Like, screw it. You, you, if, if the, if, you know, the people out there do their homework and they go through your page, uh, man, how many, how many things have we taken back and forth? I'm like, oh my God, this makes me better at pitching. And then you're, you know what I mean? It's, it's just been really fun yeah. watching that evolve. So again, well, the reason why, that. the reason, the reason why Ignite's a thing is because this dude just doesn't stop learning. And it's been so fun it's such, it's so surreal. Like we've never met. And I know that's, it's just more common. Dude, I was and, supposed to be in San Diego this week. Oh, that's right. I forgot about yeah, that. Yeah. Somebody's supposed, supposed to be wedding this week. Yeah. I'm supposed to be there, but obviously I'm not now. So gosh, so that nice. was a long time ago that you brought that up. Yeah. But they had to cancel and move it. So, I mean, I guess whenever they move it to, then I guess I'll be in San Diego and I'll let you know. So, well, frick, we got dials out there. Now we got we got multiple reasons to come out there. Um, For sure. And if ABCA is in, you know, if it actually DC. happens. Yeah, it's in yeah. DC this year. Cool. Sounds good. D did you know that? I think I did, yeah. Oh, yeah. I just found that out yesterday. I don't I wonder if they're going to have that. Yeah, I'm hoping I'm hoping that it'll it would be I mean, who knows though. I mean, January's a long way away, but it would be very very cool if if we could get that going again because that was i needed more time that's what i needed you haven't gone yet right you haven't gone yet Kurt, no right? i gotta go i haven't gone oh yet. dude let me tell you let me tell you it was uh, if you are if you're that i was telling uh there was a dad that i thought of right away um when we went because i didn't know that it was open to like you know dads and kids like that and i think that the abc is missing out not either not allowing more parents or like pushing that marketing thing or like having another version of that because of the convention and how many vendors were there and stuff. You know what I mean? Because it would be the greatest thing ever to have like a, just a general baseball convention, you know, where, you know, you could just go, cause I mean, they're literally 2000 vendors. Like there's just not enough time in four days to go look at all this information. I mean, you, you can, per, we, we walked up and down every aisle. Right. But even then, like, you never know, you sit down and talk to a guy and we were talking to, um, or no, that was at winter meetings. Never mind. I was mixing that one up, but I was thinking of the Kango guy. Um, anyway, but 
you know, which by the way, we should probably reach out to him, Cass. Kanga, Kanga Tech, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I should see if he would come on Nigel. Um, do you know what Kanga Tech is, Kurt? No. Um, so we only know about it because we went up to TPI and um, you know, TPI, Greg Rose, TPI, yeah. title of sports. Okay. On base here, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so it's it's just like, um, it, it's just a thing that tests force. So like you do adduction, abduction of like all of your joint, you know, you just, you just go through the gamut. And so it's a tool that tests force. And um, he was at the winter meetings and nobody talked to him. This dude is, he's, he, isn't he like, he's the head athletic trainer in the premier league. And he has one of the most like revolutionary tools in sports performance. Like he can predict no, injuries based on like, force output of the, of the limb. Yeah. Yeah. And, That's and the crazy. fact that not one major league baseball team was, had the wherewithal to do it. I mean, like the angel, I think the angels are working. There was like two or three that already were, but like, it's crazy. It, oh, it's brutal. Anyway, yes, ABCA, DC. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I, I don't think that you can do it's it's you're not gonna buy it. I'll tell you about it, but like it's it's a very oh, expensive yeah, yeah. No, machine. I'm just, just interested. Oh yeah. yeah. So yeah, we should get him on the podcast though, John. That's a really Yeah, that would idea. be great. He's he's freaking Nigel. Some good stories. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's upset with the system as well. Like he doesn't under you know, when we talked to him, it was super cool. So that could be exciting. So He's he was joking. He's like, if I was at a, a soccer thing right now, like I couldn't. People wouldn't stop talking to me. Like it's it's just so funny. So anyway, yeah. all right, dude. This has been awesome. I'll say sure, things yep. and I'll let John close it down. No, it's all good, Cass. You can sign off. Go for it. Oh, okay. Well, Kurt, tell people how they follow you on social media. Yeah. So Instagram ignite underscore baseball, actually that's all of them. So Twitter ignite underscore baseball as well. Um, Facebook is just ignite baseball. Um, yeah. Feel free to give us a like, uh, or a ignite baseball.org. Yep. Ignite baseball.org is our website. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that's where you find me. Feel free to shoot us a message. Um, you know, we're usually pretty good at responding to that stuff. So and pretty much an open book too. So this is, uh, I think the whole entire Ignite family is would, would love to hear some questions from people. So sure. um, open book. So anyway, um, I wanted to say before, we, we haven't talked a lot about our stuff. So in case people aren't doing this, you should be following us, us as well on Instagram because we talk about this. We're, we're, you know, we're highlighting a lot of the people like Kurt. We're giving more context to that. So if you are watching this and you're not following us on our social media, like figure it out because um, it just creates so much more context to, to our information. And this, and this goes to, and, and if, if your people are watching this too, I see this all the time people we have free resources all over the place john's youtube kurt's youtube my youtube um it's it's supplementary supplemental information that people don't take advantage of so anyway make sure to check out kurt make sure to check out ignite make sure you're following us to create context for this stuff rate subscribe review did i say anything that did i miss anything john no just online store On, online store our hats are glued up ready to go it's the best hat in the game. I don't care who you are. It's the best hat in the game. I'm really. I'll trade you a t-shirt, or I'll trade you guys t-shirts for hats. Gotcha. I don't know, dude. Okay. 
I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right, dude. He just loves right, a good bargain. That's all. He loves a good that's barter. That's you it. know, like he's never gonna jump right in and be like, sure. And he's like, well, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Oh, Typical ball player. Anyway. That's right. Oh, all right, man. Job. This has been all awesome. Guys. Let's Definitely. uh let's I'm gonna talk to you later, Kurt, because I always still want to go deeper into the open close stuff. But for the rest of you, thanks for watching. If you got this far. Ready to go, Johnny? Yes.